Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. It's going to be an absolute cracker. I'm joined by the founder and managing director of BPM, Jonathan Hallinan. Uh, John is one of my clients and he is one of the most successful businessmen in Australia and he has a lot of value and knowledge bombs to drop in today's show. Um, I absolutely love the chat. Uh, as I said, one of the most successful people in the country um, and it was a, a fantastic opportunity to be able to ask him a number of these questions and I know you guys are going to love the episode so make sure you tune in for the whole show. If you take some value from today's show, please do take a screenshot of the episode and post it up on your Instagram story for me. Tag myself and tag John as well. Um, just tell a friend about the show. I would love to get as many ears on today's episode as possible. Now, before we get stuck into the interview, I did want to thank today's sponsor, and that is Before You Speak Coffee. Now, I first used these guys a couple of years back after going to a fitness expo here in Melbourne, and it was a great substitute for going to the cafe all the time and buying coffees every single day. Uh, very easy to use sachets, helps you focus a lot more, and it actually tastes fantastic as well. And I guess the aim of the company is to make sure that you're staying caffeinated throughout the day and getting shit done. And I'm all about getting shit done, staying as productive as possible. My favorite of their products is the one, the OG. Um, gluten and dairy-free, keto-friendly, um, for those that are, that are interested in that, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, 100% natural, and there are no artificial sweeteners. So it's got all the good stuff in it. It gives you a great, strong, and clean energy, improves performance, improves your mental clarity with the MCT oil, um, which helps with that, supports fat loss, reduces inflammation, avoids... You, you don't get that kind of crash that you sometimes get from having a coffee or even like some of the fat burners out there um, which i like as well as i said it tastes fantastic and it helps regulate your stress as well um, particularly in this current time everybody's stress levels are through the roof so i think you know with the help of of the ingredients even things like turmeric uh, which reduces inflammation and pain symptoms improves your gut health and, and boosts your immunity and, and blood glucose glucose regulation as well these are all going to be beneficial um, at any time, at the best of times, let alone um, what everybody is currently going through. So make sure you give these guys a try. There's a link in the show notes below. If you go and try your own packet, you can buy a box of sachets in there. You'll get a discount if you use my code. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think. So tag them in today's story if you do enjoy today's episode as well. But for now, let's get stuck into this chat with John. Hi, right, mate. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, pleasure to have you on under different circumstances. Obviously, you're uh, in quarantine at the moment, so we were just talking about before I um, clicked record that I thought you'd be going insane considering you're usually such a busy person, but how, how's that all going? Uh, look, it's actually a lot more challenging than I thought. It's, um, you know, I sort of came back in from overseas and been in New York for a few days and had to cut my holiday short to get back uh, to make sure I got back. Um, look, I'm not, I normally spend more than probably 10 or 12 hours a time at home. So to have 14 days locked in 24 sevens, certainly challenging, but you know, just spending the time being productive, keeping fit and getting my work done and making the most of it. Awesome, mate. So all you can do is focus on what you can control. Um, I, you know, I've, I sent through kind of a bit of a rough idea of what I wanted to chat to you about today. I think, um, my audience is going to get so much value from what you have to say. Like I, every time we chat, 
um, in our sessions and even via message or whatever, I always take a lot of value from it. So um, for those that are listening, if you do take some value from today's episode, please do take a screenshot of this this show today and post it up on your story. Tag myself and John. I'll have his um, his link, his social media link in the, the show notes below for you guys to, to do that. Um, but, mate, the first question I had for you is what was your first job? My first job was when I was 10 years old. I was selling papers on the street out the front of AFL Park on Wellington Road there. And um, it was pretty hectic because I lived in Glen Waverley. That was in uh, Wheelers Hill. So it was a long ride after school every night. And But it was, you know, probably really the start of my success because it just, you know, was so successful. The time the papers were 40 cents. Everyone gave me a dollar coin or two dollars. And at the time, I was making, you know, I was 10 years old and making about $20 a day. You know, my pocket money at the time was a dollar a week. So, you know, that was my first job. I did take it really seriously as a job. It was bloody hard, you know, riding there up and down those, those hills to get there each day. But, you know, it really set my foundation for, you know, the work ethic and the, what I needed to then, you know, take on the other jobs and success I've had. Hundred percent. I was going to say that it obviously um, cemented that in stone pretty early about hard work and the benefits of actually what happens when you put in the hard work. But was there anyone or anything in particular before that that kind of engraved that that hard work or the work ethic in you um, to even do this initially, or was this just off your own initiative and, and something that you chose to do yourself? Well, I've thought about that quite a lot, and my my dad was an accountant, my mum was a hairdresser, and they both weren't overly ambitious people. Um, you know, certainly hardworking people, but not overly ambitious. I think it was just innate. I think I was just born with it. It was, you know, just something that like, nothing that was going to stop me from being successful. Absolutely nothing. There was no sacrifice I wasn't going to make to to make it happen. I think That's- that you know, people look at successful people and say, "Oh, geez, I'd love to be like that." And I always think, "Oh, would you really?" the sacrifices that I've made and had to do to get what I've got, I don't know that I'd recommend it or, you know, or you probably really wanted if people knew the reality of what it actually took to do it. Yeah. And we've, we've um, obviously spoke about this a couple of times in person in the gym and that was um, mm-hmm. something that I found really interesting as well. And the question I'd been wanting to ask you is, is that, and I think it happens a lot as well. It happens a lot with health and fitness too. Like I talk a lot to clients and potential clients about you know what their ideal physique is and stuff like that and they'll see um, someone that they look up to or someone they'll see in a fitness magazine or whatever and they go you know I'd absolutely love to look like that or wouldn't it be great to look like that but you tell them how they need to do that and they're not willing to put in sacrifice to even begin whether that be eating well whether that be turning up to the gym multiple times per week and and having all the sacrifice to get it. So like you said, a lot of people think they want it, but one, once push comes to shove, they don't actually want it. Look, I think, you know, health and fitness is a great example of it. I did a bodybuilding competition and, you know, the, the commitment and sacrifice and, the you know, the mental take it had on me was just as big as what it was taking for me to have the success I had in business at the time. It was That's- brutal. Yeah, and that's pretty. Um, I only just thought about that now. It's it's pretty funny, isn't it? Like your personality type and the way that you are in terms of business, it, the crossover into bodybuilding is exactly the same. Like we we've actually spoke about it. Um, I didn't really put one, like two or two together, but you know that self discipline, knowing what needs to be done, turning up every single day and doing it, it's exactly the same as business, really. 
And in the end of the well, day, whether you're successful or unsuccessful comes down to you. Absolutely. But I mean, with that bodybuilding, it's not every day. It's 24 seven. You know, you're a footballer. You can do your training sessions and you can go home. And, not that you can eat whatever you want, but you can have that bolognese or you can eat a big carb meal. Bodybuilding is, you know, it's everything you do every moment of every day. It's, mm. you know, as I said, it's probably one of the most challenging things <clears> I've ever done in my life. So, and that commitment, that single-minded attitude was, you know, paramount in that and same in business. You yes. know, and again, you and that to everybody. You wouldn't want your whole life to be taken over by one, any one thing. 100%. So, and you, you know, obviously being in property, like, and be being so successful in property, what led you down that path in the first place? What was what made you choose property over anything else? Obviously, you said, regardless of what it was, you were you were adamant that you're going to be successful. So, why property? Uh, look, it was I wasn't overly academic at school, so I knew that I probably wasn't going to take down go down the academic path. So. I knew that I'd probably finish school and maybe take on a trade. And so I then started thinking, well, what could I, you know, do to become incredibly successful within an industry that was trade-related? Even at that time, I was reading the Financial Review every day. I would buy the BRW Rich List and, you know, followed a lot of the people that were at the top of that list. And I quickly realised that majority of wealthy people in the country were either working primarily in the property industry or were heavily property invested. I also had an interest in architecture, had interest in construction, and it all just sort of melded together. And so I took down that took down the track of saving for my first property right from when I was, you know, doing that, selling those papers from ten, mm. and then eventually property, which was actually a development site at nineteen, and then that just you know took on from there. And so, what was that initial decision to start? BPM, like how did that all come about and, um, and what was the process there? I quickly realised that most people were going to buy my, well, my product that I was going to create was always going to be bought before I produced it. So all the apartments you know, I've ever developed were always sold before we actually built them. Mm. So I knew that I needed a brand that people could rely on, that I was going to deliver what I said I was going to deliver, follow on my promises or deliver on the promises. So that's when I started this brand behind my property business that was recognizable and then could be once I started to deliver people knew and could trust that I was going to deliver it and if you're 70 years old 80 years old moving out of your family home you've been in for 50 years into an apartment you know it's probably maybe going to be the last place you're going to live you want to be able to trust that you're getting what you what you think you're buying especially if you're not in that industry so I created this brand and did it in areas like the Bayside area like a, Primarily, I, I did 250 million worth of apartments just in Brighton alone. And we became so well-known and recognised in that area that if you're basically going to downsize, you would buy it from us because you knew we would deliver and the brand was so recognised. So right from the brand was number one. And every decision I ever made, brand was came first. Yeah, well, that kind of leads me to what I was going to chat about next is the goal, what the goal was with BPM. So was has the goal always been provide value and, and service to others. Obviously the the financial side of things is a byproduct of the fact of what you're what you're providing to other people. But has that always been the goal? Is is offering a service and, and helping people providing value, is that what the goal was with with the company? And that was just a kind of a a um, a vehicle for you to do that? Um, look the main goal was I I loved 
building iconic projects that you know really left a legacy so it was the main goal was delivering beautiful homes for people that also had investment investment appeal to them but had long lasting were a long lasting investment for them i always think if you build or design something beautifully put a lot of effort into its design construction quality and the people that live there will really care for those buildings then they will last the last and last and you know even in 20 years 30 years these will still be iconic buildings that people want to buy and therefore everyone that's bought from me has won from that from living in it or investing in it or whatever whatever it may be it's been a win-win that's awesome that's been the number one goal how big is BPM at the moment? Like how many, like, like how big is it? What type of like numbers are you doing? Like what type of, um, I don't know if that's something you could talk about or what, you know, what type of developments are you doing at the moment? I know we've spoke about in the gym, you and I have talked about, you know, what it was like at its absolute peak. So maybe even if you want to touch on like personally, like how much you were doing and what is, what are you doing at the moment? Yeah, sure. Look, the property industry as a whole, and especially the off plan investment market, which is what we mostly do these days has, uh, changed enormously since uh, the changes in uh, foreign investment into Australia. Probably 50% of everything I was building before we started to slow it, slow it down was sold into China. And China investment into Australia has changed enormously because our taxes have more than tripled for them. Uh, our local banks are, uh, are not lending to them to anywhere near the rates that they were. And so, and plus their ability to take their money out of the country has changed enormously as well. So in the last couple of years, I've slowed the development side of my business down because the market force into the investment side or apartment side of the market has really dropped. And so now I've moved into hotels and, and also uh, changed my investment strategy into pushing making my building company a hell of a lot bigger. I now own a hotel, we're opening a lot of restaurants and bars, I own a suit business. So it's changed a lot. To talk about what we were doing compared to what we were do we are doing now, at the peak of BPM, we had a, over a $2.5 billion pipeline of development in, pro in, in its pipeline. I've delivered all of those now, every single one of those $2 billion worth of uh, projects have been delivered. And we now have about half a billion worth of delivery on our books and I don't plan on growing it in the short term. That is insane. absolutely insane. The other sides of my business are growing enormously. Like my construction business is, you know, tripled in size over the last 12 months. It has around 200 staff and it's you know, going from strength to strength. And that's because it's, you know, that's me diversifying out of the apartment market waiting to go back into it. My passion is building big, beautiful apartment buildings, residential apartment buildings, and I'll go back to that. But while the market's not there, mm. then I won't, I will not fight against the market. It's one yep. thing I think it's a good lesson is that it takes an amazing amount of courage to grow a big business, but it takes way more courage to slow one down. You know, many, many people become incredibly successful and then lose it all because they try mm. and go against the market. I've decided not to go against the market. I'll come back when the market changes. And you reckon that's a, an ego thing for those that aren't willing to adjust? 
It's, it is. And I mean, it's incredibly rewarding having a big business and creating all these beautiful buildings and having all these staff and having the notoriety of it. And it's, you know, that that's, it does feed the ego and, you know, anybody that has enormous amounts of success, I think, you know, has a reasonable size ego and always healthy, but it's hard to let that go. You know, I, I battle against it every day. I can imagine. So I absolutely loved, you know, when I was at the peak and, you know, we were flying. That was some of the best times of my life but if the market's not there then i'm not going to battle against that that's awesome advice on on that topic what what has been your your toughest lesson in business so far or some of your toughest lessons that that you've learned from business i think the toughest lesson is when the market changes so quickly it's a little bit like what's going on now no one could predict this no one could predict the the ramifications of this virus so these these all like the global financial crisis that I that I went through or the the tech boom and tech crash before that these lessons that or you know, these times that I just could not predict that took such massive toll on my business at the time were you know taught me enormously mm. like I've often my success is not what I've learned it's the it's through times like now that we learn the most. Success is not a good teacher. If I hadn't have had the, the toughest times of my life in my business, I would never have had the success I've had today. It's very hard to hear, like for people going through this at the moment. Yeah. It's very hard to need to go through this to have the success you hope for one day. It's hard to hear it, but it's it's so true. It's the truth, yeah. And do you think now that you, because previously you had been through, not, like you said, not this, what we're going through at the moment is not really anything that anyone has gone through before, but you've gone through tough times previously. Do you think now that your whole, you know, stress levels, your attitude, your um, positivity, I guess, around what's happening at the moment, do you think at the moment you're able to control it a lot more knowing what you've known from previously? Look, without a doubt, I used to, you know, not sleep barely sleep, I, you know, spent how many nights looking at the ceiling in my bedroom. But yeah, it's, I mean, that's like a skill that is, you can't expect that of somebody that's been in business a short amount of time or it's, you know, it's skills that I've learned over 25 years of business. Um, I've also had business coaches and I've had therapists. I've had people help me be able to stay incredibly calm, stay really happy, stay positive through even the toughest of times. That, that to me is only only time can teach you that. Hundred mm, percent, like that's it. It's easy to hear that on a podcast like this, and then that yes. kind of goes straight out the window when something pops up. What are what are some of your daily non negotiables that you reckon have helped you get to where you are at the moment? Is there any is there anything as you've just said? There's been um, you know people or, or tactics or th- things along the way that have helped you get to where you are. But is there certain things or certain behaviours, certain habits that you feel like that you do on a daily basis, um, that if you keep those in, in your routine or continue to, to make sure that you are successful? Look, a lot of people say, you know, what's been my secret to success? There's many of them, of course, but my number one has always been, I'll never do a deal or make an agreement with someone that's not a win-win. That sounds really simplistic, but, you know, in business you can often get opportunities that we could win at another person's loss. For example, in my building company, we can often get people that will quote when they're really busy or stressed, they'll misquote a job. 
but it might be a big company. You know, so it might be a multi-million dollar contract and they misquote it. The contract should be three million and they and we've got five quotes, they're all around three million, they come in at two million. I know that company can afford to do it and take the hit. We will never ever let them do it. Mm. We've made them aware that they've made a mistake. That company then owes me. And they know they do, and they will be, you know, they would do anything for forever. So I could either have taken the quick win or I can take the long-term view and say, no, I'm never going to do anything unless it's a win-win scenario. And that, having that attitude across every single part of my business, like the prices we sell our apartments for, we can oversell them into China. If we, had that, we can have that ability and overprice your apartments. We never, ever do it. We only sell a value. We only sign contracts that are win-win. And that, over the long haul, when things go wrong, I've got all these people around me willing to support me or, you know, not get paid trip periods or work on weekends or work 24-7 because we've looked after each other. That's been my number one rule. And believe me, it come, something would come across my desk weekly that I could take advantage of and we never, ever once have or never ever will. That's awesome. So really just staying ethical. And it's similar to, um, you know, I guess there's a little bit of a similarity to it. Um but like even with what I do at the moment, like I, um, it's actually not very similar, but I'm just going to go out anyway. But my whole, like, you know, with my business, it's very easy for me to be able to put together, say, for example, I put together an online program. I think that is a lot of value, but I go out and I, I put together a Facebook ad, send it out to all these people that have never met me before, go for a very quick sell for whatever amount of money it is. Now, when someone sees that, there's kind of three options. One is that they have seen my content before and they don't, they just decide not to do it. Second is that they have never seen my stuff before and they buy it. Or third is they've never seen my stuff before. And now I've pretty much basically like damaged my own reputation, my own brand because I've just gone for a very quick sell. Whereas my whole theory is I want to give out as much free content, as much value as possible with absolutely no expectation of anything in return over and over and over again to the point where that builds up trust and, and a good relationship with, with others so that when they do, they're more than happy to, to be of service to me considering that I've given them so much in oh. the past. Is that, is that similar? Look, it's, it's different, but it's, you know, it's brand building, absolutely, and it's taking long-term view and it's certainly giving you know, value, to, value to everybody. Oh, I agree with the direction you're taking, absolutely. Do you have a, uh, a morning or a daily routine? Obviously, fitness is part of your routine. Um, and I guess yeah. the sec- second part of this question is how much has um, staying fit and healthy and you know, eating well and training hard, um, how much of an impact does that have on your productivity day to day and, and um, how much you get done? Sure. To answer the first part of the question, uh, my daily routine is nowhere near as strict as it was because you know, I used to believe you couldn't have balance success if you had balance you couldn't be successful mm-hmm. i've looked at a you know someone that was preparing for the 100 meter sprint in the olympics there's no way they were living a balanced life so i looked at this myself and said well there's no way i can be balanced and successful i don't believe that anymore my not being balanced certainly created success but i don't believe it you know it's i would recommend it or it has longevity when i was didn't have balance yes i was up at 5 30 to the minute I was training within 20 minutes of getting up. I had my set eight meals a day, you know, and I had a very strict routine until 9.30 at night. And that 
routine did lock me in and did create enormous success. In saying that now, though, I live a much more balanced life, give myself a lot more freedoms, but health and fitness, you know, gone are the days of what I call the fat cat 80s uh, businessman where he's unhealthy and he's a Mm -hmm. tyrant, unhappy and he's angry. You can't be that anymore. You you want to be successful, you've got to be an inspirational leader. And to be inspirational, I think you need to be fit and healthy and be inspiring, which means people look at you and say, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be fit and healthy and successful and have a great relationship and go on holidays and every now and then sleep in or whatever it is. But health and fitness to me is paramount. There's no way I could have done what I've done without it. I couldn't do the calm and going through what I'm going through now in all of my businesses, considering what's going on without health and fitness in my life. Not a chance. That's awesome. And like I, you know, not that I didn't know this already, but um, I kind of reaffirmed it to myself at the moment. Like I was, I just had my shoulder done recently, as you know, and um, like I pretty much haven't trained at all for five weeks, pretty much. Um, And even though I'm still working the same hours, I'm still doing everything else in my life is exactly the same, apart from the fact that I'm not training. Um, which yeah. is leading me to not eat as much, not eat as well. Um, and the impact is huge, more so, like particularly I find definitely on your energy levels and your mood and all that type of stuff and sleep, but particularly with headspace, it's just, it. It's I know that when I train that my productivity afterwards is through the roof. Um, I feel a yep. lot better, probably going to be a lot nicer to other people as well. Um, mm. Sleeping, everything's going to be so much better. So the flow on effect is, um, is absolutely massive. Do you, what... Look. Benefits endless. They really hundred percent. Um, what I was going to ask you is, do you like when when you see people making setting goals? So it doesn't have to be anything to do with property. Um, mm. What do you think is the biggest mistake most people make when they are setting goals? Just from from your experience. Well, I think that they set their goals too big and too far out. You know, they want. It's a bit like saying, looking at, like you said before, looking at a magazine, people say, oh, I want to look like that. You know, that's a, that could be a 12-month process. You know, people would maybe want that in two months mm. or want to be rich or people want full, you know, financial freedom or people want, you know, an amazing car. I, for me, it was always just breaking it down in much smaller blocks. What could I get done this week? What could I get done by the end of the month? Or like, when could I get that done by? Not these big, broad goals of, you know, something that is so far out, maybe maybe can seem at times unachievable. So I've always set and worked very, very hard on my short-term goals or, you know, up to maybe six months, most 12 months. But I've never set out to say, you know, I'm going to go build a tower in the city when I was just doing a couple of units out in, in this, you know, in Bentley. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess the second part of that would almost be like being able to reverse engineer. So even if you do have a, a huge goal or a bigger goal, you have to be able to look at what those smaller goals are going to be along the way to achieve it in the first place. Cause I, I find the same thing with nutrition is that you, sorry, fitness. So training and nutrition, I have clients come in and say that, you know, like they might have, they might have been doing absolutely nothing for two years, and they come in and say, you know, I want to, I just want to lose weight, and that's it, or I want to look like this, and then that's that's their only goal. They haven't put any other thought to it. They haven't not put any thought to, you know, what they're going to, have to do with their nutrition, 
how they're going to progress their training, how many days they're going to be able to commit to come to the gym, where they need to take care of their, you know, their headspace with meditation and things like that. Like it's, there's just no other mm. thought to it. So it's too broad, like you said. Yeah. So I would start up by just saying, if I can just get to the gym three times a week or, you know, I can do six meals a week or break it down. And then I find once you get into that routine, then you've got that under control, then I'll set my next goal. When I get that under control, then my next goal. But if I just walked in the gym and said, I want to be absolutely shredded. Well, that's a very big goal. It is, you know, food maybe going first and then to get my routine going and I need to change my timetable. There's a lot to make that happen. That's so a step by step. I just feel that too many people set these enormous goals that are just not achievable in one hit mm. compared to and into smaller goals. I agree. So though, like a lot of, a lot of my audience, there's a bit of a range between um, health and fitness or fitness and nutrition and training and stuff like that and athletes and those that have businesses or those that just listen because I want to hear a broad range of different stuff. So for those that are listening at the moment um, that have their own business, and are wanting to either grow that business or you know scale their business. What's some some good advice that you can pass on to them? Okay, so my main advice there is, I believe you know in Australia we're incredibly competitive. It's incredibly sophisticated. All ranges of business, whether it's health and fitness or fashion or you know all property construction, it's incredibly sophisticated here. Um, I spent a lot of time in the US and can tell you that their markets are in a lot of ways nowhere near as sophisticated as ours. Okay. So my advice is that I don't believe now because it's that competitive that you can do it on your own. I believe you need people around you. You need, what I always say is I, would ne I did do it from about the first 10 years of my business. I tried to do what I call organically, all on my own, all with my own efforts, all with my own money. But now I say to be competitive in this world, you need to do it with, partners and more people investment outside whether it's family or external investment or whatever it is i would never suggest you try and build any business or really you know try and create your passion alone it needs to be not organic it needs investment and multiple people involved is that something that um you think yourself and maybe a lot of people listening would struggle with initially because to struggle to give over um i guess to delegate roles to other people and especially if it's your idea i guess a lot of people would probably find it hard to say all right well no one else is going to care about as much as what what i am or um if i've built this and this is my idea then i want to be the one that, that brings it from the ground up type of thing do you reckon that's what blocks a lot of people from taking that step yeah i think that's sort of a small-minded way of looking at it and i don't believe it's true i I always used to think, oh, God, I could never delegate out so many of the roles in my business. But the truth was I found people that could do it even better than I could. I just had to believe in them and give them that autonomy and that authority to do it. Um, and you know, even from an investment point of view, I said, oh, you know, I don't want to take anyone's money. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to get any help. I think that's just not the case. Every piece of help you can get, any investment you can get, you know, if you can employ people, get people involved, even if they're not, you know, paid, paid staff, people just want to be involved and help you. Every opportunity that you've got to get help, that's, that's you know, my advice. Do not try and do it on your own. You just, it's, you just get taken over. Then there's the next guy that's prepared to get investment in, prepared to get uh, staff in, and they will just take your market share, whatever industry that is. 
going off what you've just said there, like this might be a pretty broad question and I don't really have any experience in this. So just let me know if this is a stupid question, but when someone has made the decision to bring in an investor or they're looking for someone to invest in their business, what are some things that you would look for um, in, in someone coming into the business that says they do want to invest? Is there kind of, you know, do's and don'ts when you go to, to, to choosing or allowing certain people or approaching certain people to, to become an investor and be a partner? Oh, absolutely. That's so, so crucial because every investor has different goals. Some, some want you know, cash flow immediately, some want long-term growth. They, you, your goals need to be aligned because businesses, my business, you know, I took very little money out of for 15 years. It was all about just building the business and building its balance sheet and building its asset base. It wasn't about taking money out. And you know, anybody that invests with me today is a long-term player. You know, we look at 10-year plays. It's not even a two or three-year play. It's 10 years. So you're, you need to be very much aligned with your investors that you've got mm. the same goal. Mm. Awesome. But there's a, I'll say this: there's a lot of there's a lot of money and there's a lot of investment there. There's not a lot of there's much less skill. Money is nowhere near as valuable as the skill of the, the person driving the business. Anyone awesome. can be an investor. Very few people can be the driver. Appreciate that. Appreciate the insight, um, mate. I'm very, um, you know, cautious of your time, so I won't hold you up for much longer. Just one more question: What advice um, do you have for everybody listening at the moment that's potentially worried about, um, you know, the current situation and and what could be relatively tough times coming up for those that own businesses or even even those that don't own businesses to be honest like a lot of people are going to lose their job a lot of people um it's just a lot of unknown at the moment so you know having gone through similar things previously and and some tough times what what's your best advice for those who are listening um that are stressed out about it oh number one i would say is don't panic and don't make any you know massive drastic changes but it's about accepting that your life is going to be different your business is going to be different or your employment is going to be different. Your lifestyle is going to be different. And it's sitting there and saying, okay, I've accepted it. I can't go on my holidays. I probably can't get my new car. Or I can't you know, do all of the things that I normally was doing. Those things do need to change. The number one thing I think everyone needs to do is reserve their money, reserve you know, cash at the moment. Do not be spending money like we were. I mean, that's a, on a broader economic scale. We don't want people doing that, but that's a reality to look after yourself. And just accept that this is just one time in your life. It will come and it'll go, but it's going to be really, really tough. But accept it, and it's not that bad. We're all going to get through it. That's great advice, John. I um, really appreciate it, mate. Thank you so much for for joining um, me today on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Most welcome. See you Uh, soon. I think a lot of people have got a lot of value. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Guys, if you have taken some value from today's episode, which I know you would have, again, please do take a screenshot of this episode and post it up on your Instagram story for me. Um, tag us both. We'd love to get some feedback. Thanks again for joining us and I look forward to chatting to you again on next week's episode.